You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Bowtech Archery prides themselves on offering a bow for everyone. Whether you have a short draw length, a long draw length, pull 70 pounds or 40 pounds, you're a bow hunter or a target archer, they offer a bow that can be customized to fit your body type. On top of that, their deadlock technology allows you to fine-tune your arrow flight. Visit BowTechArchery.com and check out the SR350 and the CP28. Bowtech Archery, refuse to follow. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. The truth on the Houndsman XP Podcast Network is fueled by Joy. Joy Dog Food has been in business for many decades, since the 1940s. They've never had a recall. They only use 100% American-made products to bring you a dog food formula that is going to keep your hounds on their feet and performing at a high level. Late round bound, the next bear race, the next cat race, whatever you got going, Joy can keep your dog fueled up. I personally feed Joy for this reason. They are not afraid to get in the trenches and get in the fight. They will show up at a local meeting where people are trying to pass tethering laws or uh, breeders bills or whatever and put their name on that and put their reputation on the line to support us so find joy dog food on the internet find that dealer locator find a dealer near you if you can't find one contact them directly and have a rep get their butts down there and get a dealer set up so you can start feeding joy dog food fueled by joy all right ladies and gentlemen welcome to the truth on the houndsman xp podcast network and i am sitting here with the man the myth the legend mr chris powell <laughs> and uh we got some stuff to talk about this week chris we do we're gonna we got a lot of cool stuff yeah we're gonna talk about fall super stakes uh we're gonna talk about some uh things we've seen on the old interwebs and uh <laughs> we're gonna go through some rules and some questions that i've gotten uh through my email here in the last couple of weeks so uh where you want to start off? You want to start off with Super Stakes? Well, I thought we'd start off by, you see this little icon right down here at the bottom of the screen? It looks like a microphone. Uh-huh. If you're going to get up and start yelling at Brogan or kids or whatever, <laughs> hit that hit that button. It saves me some time in editing. It ain't Brogan. It's Bogan. 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 Whatever. You know what What's that? that? I forget what that means. All right, you, that you is, said it. That right is there. Australian slang for white trash. <laughs> he is an australian cattle dog and we're white trash so i thought that would be pretty fitting for you that is pretty yeah. fitting i like it I, I take a lot of pride in my name in my naming yeah i try to do the same thing I try to make them mean something what really sucks is when uh you go through one of the best names and the dog don't make it oh man i hate that <sighs> i've, I've reused 
I reuse some. Yeah. If nobody knew about them. Yeah. You know, I, if I just I just reuse. I them. haven't reused any of, but all my names, other than all my coonhound names, have a music theme. You know, I I like Con. What people don't understand is we had two of those, him and his littermate brother, and their names mm-hmm. were Ground Control and Major Tom. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we had, of course, Delta Dawn. Uh, rhythm. I thought one of them was going to be named Shaka and the other one was named Khan. I thought about that. That would have been good too. <laughs> and then uh, Rhythm was, her name was She's Got Rhythm, or Get Rhythm. I'm sorry. They changed it whenever they mm. whenever I sold her, but her name was Get Rhythm. So yeah, we do we do music themes. Jagger was one of my other ones. I've had, I've had a bunch of them. Yeah. Yep. I use uh, Blazing Saddles theme on one. Yeah. My uncle Mongo. does all everything. Every dog he names comes off Lonesome Dove. Yeah, that's a good movie to pick from yeah, too. It is. Yep, Newt, Gus. Yep, he's had all those. Yep, Pi. Yep. Yeah, you yep. name it. He's gonna hell bitch. Yeah, he had one. He female, did have... Yeah, and she she was promptly named that. Yeah, that was it. She was she sucked. <laughs> <laughs> and she was bite you every time you try to yeah, go to the tree. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So yeah, we've had, uh, we we take pride in our names. Yep, good. We one. don't name them numbers like the blue tick guys do. They could, they're only original that. enough to think of one name, and then they got to put a number behind it. Uh yeah. <laughs> not not my game. <laughs> you man. don't like it either, do you? No. How many hammer? No, how many hammers did they have? I think they're up to seventy four. Jeez. I don't know. I don't know where they're I at. I wouldn't doubt it. They were all Roman yeah. numerals, too, so it was like the Super yeah. Bowl. I don't know what effing Super Bowl I'm at. I don't speak <laughs> Roman. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll have to check Ken Herman's page. He kind of took over that whole yeah. uh, hammer stuff. I'll see what number he's up to. But I was thinking. Dave had I'm to not, have at least 20. He did. At he least did. 20. And I'm think, I think I saw a dog on Ken's page that was 27 jeez yeah do they name them all yeah. hammer like a call name i don't I know i don't i don't or know they have a different call name i i couldn't even tell you hey i got one other question for you yeah i was reading the plot days deal for the newscast on monday and what pedigree or what championship is cch what pedigree or what champ well, it's a championship it's like water champions wch night champions ntch is it a confirmation champion maybe i don't know that's why i'm asking you i, have I no bet idea it is CCH i bet it's confirmation champion lauren would know i think she i think she uh there's a difference between like show champion and confirmation champion i, I don't know the differences in uh, well, i assume the show champion or the confirmation champion probably ain't on a bench it's probably walked around mm. all that stuff yeah, I guess. I, I don't know. I already know. I don't know. I put my foot in my mouth last week or Wednesday with uh, some misinformation about X bread. So I'm not going. I'm not going to dive into that one until I know. <laughs> what was your misinformation on the X bread? I made a statement during the podcast that uh, X bread had to be two dogs with. Uh, they could be different breeds. They just needed to have pedigrees from each side. At UKC pedigrees, and I guess that's incorrect. I haven't verified I, it yet. I thought that was correct. I, I don't know. To you, I don't know. They can just be different breeds, is what I thought. They can be different breeds, but 
evidently evidently they don't need a pedigree either so oh that may be i know that's the way pkc is with their crossbred yeah 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 i registered several mountain curves that actually had pedigrees but since the ancestors were not uh pkc registered they just came back as crossbred instead of mountain curve yeah so hmm. yeah i thought it was i thought they had to be ukc registered parents they could I did be, too. They could be a different breed, and then they were expert. Yeah, I did too. That's what I always thought. But, but uh, Lauren sent me a message and set me straight. Hmm. So, one thing about when you say something wrong on one of these, Lauren will tell you. Yeah. Well, there's not a afraid. lot. There's a lot of people that'll tell you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. But when yeah. You, when you stand corrected, you just got to own up to it. That's right. Is I'm here to take my whipping. Yep. Thank you very much. May I have another? There you go. Let's talk about super stakes, pal. Do it, man. That is something that we bring up on the truth a lot. You look at all our, you know, we're getting ready to talk about Ryan Croson anyway, I'm sure. But, uh, you know, we talk about he's a super stakes champion. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and that's a, that's a title that there's two super stakes a year, spring and fall. There are three to four divisions, actually, if you count the baby stakes. Uh, the baby stakes, like Mr. Jason Doherty said, the plaque says Super Stakes Champion on it, and so that's a Super Stakes Champion as well. Right. And so there's four divisions, two a year. So there's actually eight Super Stakes Champions crowned every year. That's right, spring and, and fall. Yeah, and it's still very prestigious. You bet. You know, and so we're coming up into the fall Super Stakes. It is going to be on... Uh, looks like September 19th through the 24th. It's going to be in Salem, where all the major stuff is usually held. And there's three divisions of the uh, week-long deal. The babies the babies only hunt uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Or mm-hmm. Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I'm sorry. And then the seniors, juniors, and sophomores hunt uh, Monday through Saturday, with the finals being on Saturday. And so you're looking at... Uh, Three divisions, one-year-olds, two-year-olds, three-year-olds, usually. And, and I think their birthday is October 1st until May 1st. That's when they have to be born. And so the best f- spring birthday is May 1st. The best fall birthday is October 1st. I think it's October. Maybe it's November. November. Yeah, I think it's November. You're it's right. November You're 1st. Right. And so... Jazz has actually had... Um, she's actually had almost, almost three perfect birthday litters yeah she's I had, had three them. in a row too but they were all spring yeah. pups they're all yeah, really she, good the last couple times they've been uh they've been spring pups but uh she, like mongo's litter mm-hmm. they were born november 2nd i hear tale that mongo's gonna go down to kentucky for a little bit he's gonna go down and get uh tuned up by jason doherty for a couple weeks because chad uh hasn't been able to be hunting since he's hurt he needs he that will be a good thing for him yeah i talked to if chad that i talked to chad last week and he had asked me about jason because he knew that we knew each other and i told him that jason would treat his dog good and jason will be honest about what the dog is mm-hmm. and uh i would not be afraid to send a dog down to jason doherty to hunt for a couple of weeks i'll and, be curious to see um what comes of that and his evaluation of yeah. that dog he of all the pups that i've seen out of big country he has been the closest 
to what he was. He's a little more open on the ground, mm -hmm. but he's got the same mannerisms. He's got the same – I mean, he acts the same in the kennel. He treats coons the same. Um, there's been a, there's a lot of things about him that, that when you hunt him and you get to know him, you know where he came from. There's no there's no doubt about it. And that was country's first litter, right? Yes. Yeah. Yep. And he is out yeah, of we made the, jazz. Jazz. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, we made that cross right here at my house. We we kind of took a risk uh, breeding him breeding him that young. Mm -hmm. But uh, I say because he's what, six now, Mongo. See that man? Old? Is he that old? I think he, he may is. be. He's five or six, I think. I think he's five. Yeah, he may be. I think he's five. five. Yeah, but he's up there in the frozen tundra, and hasn't got a chance they, at a lot of these major events. They don't. I mean, that's that was the downfall uh, when Chad bought him. He's right up there on the fringe of. He's too far away to really get him out there in mm -hmm. PKC, and and uh, he's got great hunting. I mean, it's awesome up there, but uh, he's just. He's out of he's out of the mainstream up there, yeah. you know. If he was down here where he could go twenty miles in any direction and hit a hunt any night he wanted, then it it'd be a lot big lot lot different deal. I know, but he's su he's a super accurate dog. I've talked to you, of course, and then uh, Strickland has hunted with him, and Chad, and I've heard nothing but good reports from the dog. And yeah. There's guy could break him out maybe get him in at a couple of pro classics and he would be that behind the barn coon dog that everybody talks about but he's a known commodity yeah we know he's out there right and i we were i offered it i offered to come out of retirement and and bring him down here and bite the bullet and start yeah. just because because he's out of our stuff yeah and i wanted to see him succeed and um uh, i couldn't close the deal I we, really wasn't that. I really wasn't that committed yeah, anyway. <laughs> and we were the same way. Like I, I would like to get the dog and, and get him in some pro classics too. And Jed had mentioned interest in him, but at his age, we've got three others. Mm -hmm. You know, if he was a two-year-old, and we were going oh, into yeah. super stakes, you know, I'd be on it right, right now. But uh, <laughs> we've got three older dogs that we're already competing with, and I just don't think we'd give him a fair shake. I made I made a mistake with him. Um, you know, when he was that two-year-old, then I had really backed out of of competing at all with him, and I held on to him a little too long. Mm -hmm. And uh, I also, when That's he was younger than problem. that, <laughs> yeah, I also didn't push him at, in those younger years yeah. and tried to get the only hunt that he had ever been in uh, when I sold him was the blue tick Nash, blue tick days. And I won the young guns hunt with him. Yeah, that's the only hunt he had ever been in. When and I was just hunting him around here, and and um, didn't want to sell him. And yeah, so I hung on to him a little too long to really make him a a hot commodity. If if I would have pushed him out there at eighteen months old or so, and won some stuff with him, and you know he he could have been he could have been that next dog. I've and he may still be. I've changed my mind on putting young dogs in casts uh, my my opinion has evolved over the last two years dramatically what is it uh like con for instance uh i knew i had a freak of nature and i knew i had something special so i wanted to baby him around because i was worried about longevity 
mm-hmm. I wanted to. I didn't want to push him yet. I wanted to make sure that he was only in the events that I wanted wanted to put him in. That I didn't burn him out in cast. And I've seen after my uh, podcast with Zach McBee, him and Hunter are the same age. Uh, Matt Barnes had a dog out of trip. Gosh dang, I cannot for the life of me. I can't remember the name of that dog too. And I mean, this dog was it. He was a year younger than Con, and he was at every $30 hunt. I bet you that kid put him in three or four casts a week from the time he was a year old until he got him. I think he got in the top four or five or something like that in Super States with him. And uh, I was always preaching it at Barnes. Listen, you're going to burn that dog out. That's a talented dog. This was a good dog, very mm-hmm. good dog. So you're going to burn this dog out. He's going to be a mess. Uh, and he did. Don't get me wrong, he did. I mean, he pushed him too hard. Zach will tell you that he pushed Hunter too hard. And here I sat with Khan, and I did not push him too hard, and the end result was still the same. They still got Castale at four or five years, six years old. Yeah. And they still did And now those two dogs are setting at more career earnings than Khan is. Mm-hmm. You know, so I've, I've come to the conclusion. I told Jed this the other day. I said, listen, we're going to keep a male pup out of Hazel and Shock. And I've always been better at starting males. I've always had more success with starting a male from the ground up. That alpha male and me seem to get along. And we yeah. I'm able to mold that into what I want it to be. And I said, we're going to get a male pup out of that. And if he turns out and he gets to where he can win, we're going to ride him until he bucks us every chance we get. We're <laughs> just going to ride this thing. He's going to be at everything. He's going to be at a pro classic every week. He's going to be at all the major events, all the large open events, and when he's burnt out, we're selling him and we're done. I said, we're not going to coddle him around like we did the other two trying to get him back or the other ten we've done and try to get him back. The minute he shows us that he's not ready to be in or he's tired of being in a cast, we're just going to sell him. Hmm. I think that's the best way to go. I think you get... Well, you just jaded yourself because when he comes up for sale now, everybody's going to be like, that sucker's blown up. I gave you you like 200 bucks. I gave Con away. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. (laughs) So I turned down $20,000 for him coming out of his sophomore super stakes, and I gave him away when he was six. I know you did. That was funny, too. So, I mean, if I I get 1,500 bucks out of it by the time I'm done with it and I've got all the good out of it, that's fine. Yeah. Because they're still very good pleasure dogs. Uh, if you want to take those dogs out by themselves, Ralph, Shock, Dempsey, Con, all those burned out dogs that we've got, and they're fantastic to hunt. Yeah. But they got to be alone, and it's got to just be you and them. And there's a lot of people that would love to have that. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's nothing wrong with that either. But I mean, they got to be. I've decided that my my views have changed. And Matt Barnes, if you're listening to this, you were right. Uh, you liked. You liked hunting him. You liked winning with him, and he took him until he was, he was burnt out, and then he was done. That's the way to do it, I think. Yeah. Sometimes they come back. Steve Yant's good about getting one back, but I can't get one back. That's interesting. I've tried. I don't know that I've ever put that much thought into it, actually. Well, when you have six of them in a row, you start thinking things over pretty good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But so so what's his format for the uh, for the super stakes? All right, we're gonna you got to be super stakes eligible, and yep. so and so that dog has to be either out of a super stakes sire. Now I may mess this up too. Uh, if you have any questions, call PKC office. They will clarify. The ladies in there are absolutely fantastic to work with, and they'll answer all your questions. But uh, 
both parents have to have DNA on file, the sire and the dam, or your your pups cannot be super staked. Uh, we do we don't have super staked sires. We always do. We always just pay the whole litter up, and that's an option as well. I believe it's a Finley takes care of this, so I'm gonna have to just play it by ear here. But I believe it's a $200 uh, litter super stakes application. Uh, you pay the litter up. Uh, if you sell them, you buy a super stakes eligible pup. Uh, before they're six months old, you swab them, you send the DNA in, and you get that uh, DNA back, and they are on file and they are eligible to hunt as long as they have won $100 in open events that year that competition year uh, or they can have $500 lifetime uh, winnings and they're they're eligible for all, all three years you don't have to win it in that competition year so they can be if they're a PKC champion they're eligible all three years as long as they've been DNA'd both are and they were super stakes eligible to begin with it sounds complicated and it kind of is not. yeah but it's once you once you get to doing it, it it's a piece of cake yeah uh, so you got a super stakes pup uh, the Sophomore division is the one-year-olds, junior division, two-year-olds, senior division, three-year-olds. Up uh, to three, right? Up to, well, there, some of them are, are almost four. There's, okay. They're, they're yeah. high threes. That's right, because yeah. baby re- stakes really is good, under one. Well, see, a really good super stakes birthday is November, uh, mm-hmm. so you're hunting in September. So your dog, yep. say it's a, it's a sophomore, it's still a one-year-old, but it's going to be two in a couple months. Yep, yep. And so that's where uh, that good birthday yeah. stuff comes on. Yeah. But it gives, there's also breeder awards. Uh, the person that, that bred that litter, uh, if you do well in super stakes, gets a portion of that super stakes money, a pretty good check. I yeah. think Jed that one year with Collins litter, his check was like five, $6,000 or with uh, squeaks or not squeak, but uh, shock and scent and rain. Uh, that, mm-hmm. that crazy litter that he had, he had a huge super stakes check. And so you, you, the breeder makes some money there too, uh, the sire and the dam. So, you know, there's, there's money to be made there for just raising super stakes puppies and selling super stakes puppies, not just competing too. But you go out, uh, there's two, like we said before, there's two super stakes fall and spring. Uh, spring is usually the second week of April, uh, second, third week, something like that, because I know it falls during Missouri turkey season, much yeah. to the chagrin of my son. But, uh, you go out and you're competing against dogs that are with born within six months of your dog and baby stakes at one point, uh, there, those are dogs that are, they won't be a year old until that, you know, most, they can be as 10, 11 months old. Yep. And so baby stakes, it's just the weekend, you know, it starts Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And then like we said earlier, the older dogs, the sophomore through the senior division start on Monday. You go out uh, in the sophomore, senior, junior, and it's just like the world hunt. You start Monday, you get a double cast win. Uh, you have to get a double cast win to advance until Friday. And then you get a double cast win on Friday and a double cast win on Saturday. Most years, it takes six cast wins to win the Super Stakes. But you'll get, uh, there's some dogs that are just fantastic at three years old, coming four. You know, that's really their peak. And so you get some really good competition in the senior division. But I remember my first super stakes, I was shocked at how good the one-year-olds are. Uh, I took Con out there as a sophomore, and I thought I would breeze through that thing. And it was hard. 
I mean, it, these dogs are very good coon dogs. Yeah. And so you don't want to go out there with a dog that'll sometimes tree a coon and it's doing pretty well for however old it is and think you're going to compete because you can't. I mean, it's it's a difficult hunt to win. Yeah, I've, I've seen uh, the the baby steaks mm-hmm. is impressive. It has you know, evolved. It, it, it has evolved a ton in the last ten, eight, probably six I, years. I'm going to tell you right now. I hate the baby steaks. I think we I think we push pups way too hard to mm-hmm. get them ready for that. I and I'm speaking from experience. I hunt a jazz in the baby steaks, and uh, tell us about it. I got to go get me another drink real I, quick, pal. <laughs> yeah, I just about just about blew her up. He didn't hit the mute button again. He likes it. Um, but yeah, I just about blew her up just getting ready, getting ready for that. She actually shut down on me a couple months after that. But, uh, and that's one that I brought back. So you forgot that mute button again, didn't you? Hey, this is the truth. We don't, we don't hide anything. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just saying I almost blew, blew jazz up doing yeah. that, doing that with her, pushing her too hard. But, uh, Took her it's out different. there, and it's different with females. Yeah, it opinion. is. It is. You can bring and a female back. I don't think I, you can bring I, a male back. I can't anyway. Well, I think, I think that's as much personality as anything. You know, mm-hmm. it, maybe it's some weird deal. It's like I back off a little bit from a, you know, the the females and and give them a little more the old chivalry type thing you know there's something to i think that. i do yeah, I, think I think i do i think there's something to. i treat my females different than i do my male i do too you know i, I think i don't i'm not saying there's not something to it i know brains that of course rain is different and scent is different because they've won me a lot of money and but like i duds is running loose out here in the yard and i just assume kick him as petting <laughs> i hate that dog and then <laughs> and then rain comes over the house and she's laying on the couch and i'm babying her around you know so mm-hmm. yeah we, i do we probably treat them differently i know i do but uh you got any predictions what's your predictions what do you think it's going to take to win and who do you think is going to win it i'm gonna it's going to take coons it always takes coons from from baby stakes now even mm-hmm. up to the senior division but I'm not familiar with a lot of I'm the dogs sure going out. Locked up, Josh. I believe I hope the come back. dog that Rusty Jones and Jess Dickerson has is a fall one-year-old. And I just, you heard me earlier, I called and confirmed with Jeremy that Laura Lee is a fall one-year-old. And Laura Lee has, I think she's close to $100,000 already, lifetime earnings between Pro Sport and PKC. She just got it. She just got second at the swag hunt last night in Lebanon, Kentucky. Uh, she's a dog. Of course, Ryan's a friend of mine, so I'm biased. Uh, Laura Lee's out of Josie Wales. But despite all that, I, that has got to be one of the top three one-year-olds in the country. I don't see how anybody can keep her out. I really don't. Yeah. And then you look at the two-year-olds, three-year-olds. I always go with handlers. I mean, there are... Because some of these handlers will show up, you know, the Steve Yance and and the guys like that will show up with a dog you've never heard of at Super Stakes. They do it all the yeah. time, which Ryan, right now, we've heard of what he's hunting. But, uh, you know, they show up with dogs all the time. You know, the those guys are going to have a good dog. You know, Weed and Ward and all these guys that are competing at these Pro Classics, they're going to have something. Joe Manning's probably got something back there that we haven't heard of yet. Him and Cole 
I, I don't know. You know, I should know because me and Joe are buddies. But those guys are going to have something. And so you look, I always look at the handlers. There's handlers that do well at Super States. And those are, those are usually the ones I'm, I'm going with when I go to pick them. And it's not because they're, they're, they're handlers. It's because they know what they got. It's because they know. Know, they know where to get a dog that they can compete with. And they, know, and they know how to get it ready. Yeah. Yeah, it's not it's not that they're showing up with some half half assed dog that they're gonna handle through the it's because they got something yeah. they've been keeping quiet and boom, here they come. Well you'll hear, you know, a ward or a weed or a Mark Gilmore or one of these guys that really know dogs really well and you know, I'll get a phone call. Hey, I'm looking for a spring one year old or I'm looking for a fall one year old or do you know where one's at? And you know they're looking. And this is usually about six months before super stakes. You know, I'll get those phone calls and they'll ask me if, if I've hunted with anything or if I've been around anything and that they'll get something found and those guys get something found and then they work on it until super stakes and they usually do some damage. They usually find them, yep. you know, people find them to hunt yep. that dog. Yep. But I'll tell you what, dogs that can compete right now are hard to come by. Yeah. Not, not that there's not a lot of them, but I think there's just more people you know, looking for. I think we've always had in the last four or five years a good crop of, of one, two, and three-year-olds, you know, for the Super States. Uh, I just think that there's so many people geared towards that event now that those dogs are getting hard to find. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's why I get those phone calls. Yeah. Yeah. But you look at the Stollards, the Stollards are going to have something good out there. You know, the, the Burdens are going to have good dogs out there. You know, there's just going to be, there's going to be handlers that are going to have something that you've never seen or heard of, and they're going to have a hundred dollars one or two or three hundred dollars one or whatever, and they're going to go out there and do some damage. Yeah, they come out. It's they don't have to have something that you've heard of to yeah. to hurt you. That's for sure. And one thing about it, one thing I always love about the super stakes is it gives the everyman a chance. Yeah. Every year there's an everyman, which I like to call just the guy that doesn't have, you know, $100,000 worth of lifetime earnings, you know, as a handler. You know, he's just been at some local hunts and he's traveled out to super stakes. And those guys get deep in super stakes every year. There's always three or four of them that do. Mm-hmm. Well, if I if I had a hot, hot pup that I thought I was going to have a real legitimate shot, I think I would just, I'd go out and I'd be quiet about it. I get my hundred dollars one and just sit back yeah. and, and not enter him into a bunch of stuff where all the handlers have time to, to know him and learn him. And, and, you know, if you draw that, uh, Josh, I know that if you drew me, I was hunting, hunting the same dog and you drew me three times, mm. you would see the holes in that. Yeah. And so do the weeds and all these other guys. So to, to, get this hot pup and then run out there and try to make this big splash and and if i had that pup man i just i just lay back with him now it's hard to do if you've got a three-year-old yeah but if you're hunting one-year-old i'd definitely do that well it's just like con he went out to his sophomore super stakes with a hundred and twelve dollars one yeah you know i put him in enough cash to get his hundred one and then the only people that even knew that dog existed was the people that i would call to make sure i put that dog in a crowd before i went out there you know, I'd mm -hmm. travel over to Eagleville and hunt with the Gibsons, or I'd do something like that to make sure that dog was used to being in a crowd, you know. But, well, there's a lot of them guys. Matter of fact, I'm going to 
Uh, Brian Robertson was a guy that got in the top six that year I was out there with Con, and I'd never heard of the dog, seen the dog or nothing. That was a really good dog. And there's always someone like that that makes a run out there. Yeah. Makes a good run. And it for sure. It's hard to win. It's hard to beat them pros, but they got as good a chance as any. The Truth is sponsored by Havoc Hunting Supply. When you are looking for high-quality gear, go to the people that understand the demands you put on your gear. Havoc has a full line of top-quality hunting gear that meets those demands. Rugged hunting vest for the big game houndsman to the sleek, high-speed low-drag vest for that late-round-bound competition hunter. Havoc has what you need. The Havoc website features a complete line of hunting gear for the serious houndsman, and they feature that iconic Havoc logo. Go to HavocHuntingSupply.com and order your gear today. It's time to turn the hounds loose. It's time to wreak some havoc. What's that senior pay? What's that senior win pay? I think it's $15,000, if yeah. I remember right. That's I believe that's senior pays I believe senior pays fifteen, the junior pays ten, and the sophomore pays seventy five hundred. Have there ever been any dogs that won multiple super stakes? I believe nine did. And I know there has been. I think there's been two or three or a handful. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm wanting to think and someone can correct me if I'm wrong, they can shoot me an email. But uh I think nine did and nothing else that i know right off the top of my head but i know they have yeah that's a good payout for for not only the owner but it's a good payout for the breeder too yeah yeah breeders get paid owners get paid yeah it's a good it's a good it's not no not much different than uh what the ukc has a performance program yeah is that what it is is it still i'm not up to par on that uh i'm not as up to par as i i mean i get it i get a check um because i've got a couple performance letters but yeah. uh when they win so. i think that's an underutilized program i know i underutilized it because the one year i went uh i went to a local ukc hunt with duds and i won and got a first and i went to an rqe and won it and then I thought, well, I'll, I'll get his night champion, you know. And it took me, I think I got a second and then another first. Mm-hmm. Or something like that. I can't remember what I got. But uh ended up with like a, I didn't, had no idea Duds was even performance. I, I didn't know. I had no clue. And all of a yeah. sudden, you know, a few months down the road, I get a check from UKC for like two or, two or three hundred bucks or something. I thought, well, yeah. that's, that's a better payout than hunting at a $50 hunt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's, and this is I don't know enough about it to to really go into it, but it's one of those deals where when it first started the payouts were higher, but now that it got diluted, then yeah. the payouts are lower. And I I don't know how all that works. Uh, I just don't know. Yeah, I don't either. But we'll that's have to, I'll have to ask Alan about that. We need to start performing some because we have been sending some pups to some guys that hunt a lot of UKC, and so I need to actually get them in the performance program at least we can get paid for it when they win yep yeah you gotta are you gonna bring up that rule stuff now or well you had something in between let's what 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 about the the thing you read on the interwebs the other day 
Oh yeah, we had the interwebs. Yeah. That was on, actually on the yeah. book face. Yeah. It was uh well, we'll talk I, figured, about I figured that'd be a good uh, yeah off off the super stakes when we're talking about pups. You're you're the you're the leader here. Um, I'm t- I I read something that kind of got me thinking, and um, it's about the old eighty twenty idea. Eighty mm-hmm. percent uh, or you know out of a out of a hundred hundred pups, only twenty of them are going to make it, and eighty won't. And um, I started thinking about that and mulling that over my head and tossing it around and stuff. And I just thought, where did that come from? You know, I even responded that, you know, John, John, maybe the original, the original poster brought it up that John Wick had written it, that 20% of the pups will make it. And I thought, man, that book was written in 1985. If we're still there today, then why are we there today? You know, Heath Heath puts puts that podcast together every Wednesday called The Journey. And the people that he interacts with in the police dog world and performance dog world, you know, they're, they're experiencing 80% success rates and 20% failures. You know, Bart George from Auburn University was on his podcast a few weeks ago. He wouldn't breed a dog that was... was 20 percent success rate so so where's that coming from what why are we still focused on that stumped on that 20 percent i i don't think it's i don't think it's accurate and i think a lot of it falls back on us as a as a hound hunting community that that um that's the reason because if we were talking about 70 years ago when we were starting to develop the tree dog specialist then then yeah i could buy into that but but we're a long way from there well the 20 percent rule pardon my french is bullshit it's it's that that's if you're only doing 20 percent success rate on a dog that can track and tree a raccoon consistently turn loose by itself at night you're doing something seriously wrong it's either in your breeding protocol or your training protocol because at worst, at worst, and I've always said that uh, just turning a dog loose and letting it tree a raccoon is a pretty low bar. That's, yeah. not, that's not that hard to achieve. Mm-hmm. And so if John was talking about uh, 20% can compete at a high level, that's accurate. But if 20% are only making serviceable coon dogs, then that is, you're really, really doing something wrong. Well, I, th- I think what you see parroted a lot of times on the social webs now is, hey, only 20, 20% make it. Well, let's define what make it is first. Mm-hmm. Are we talking about making a world champion? Are we talking about a serviceable, pleasurable dog that you can take out and hunt? And I think that's what the disconnect is in that whole thing is – yeah, we've all got a high bar and we all, nobody goes out there and starts a pup and says, man, I hope this thing's mediocre. Yeah, no kidding. You know, (laughs) nobody ever starts there. There's been a few of them I've started with like, man, I hope this thing makes mediocre. (laughs) Yeah. 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 But, 
I think that's where you have to start is, is what do we consider making it? Are yeah. we not everyone, not everyone's going to be a superstar. When someone comes to me about training advice, breeding advice, they have questions, either listener questions or just people that I see at a hunt or whatever. And I always tell them what the first thing I ask them, I don't care if it's a retriever, a pointing dog, uh, a coon hound, a lion dog. What are your expectations for the dog? What are you, what do you want? what are you trying to get are you wanting to compete with the dog are you wanting to have something that's fun to hunt with the kids are you wanting you know a house pet what do you want and so that's the first thing we have to establish is what are your expectations for that particular animal and until yeah. we, until we decide that who's to say what's going to make it and what isn't i know what my expectations are and my expectations one out of ten make it now that's not saying that those other nine dogs aren't really good coon dogs you know to a lot of people uh, a lot of them are i've sold dogs that, that didn't suit me that, that a lot of people love and that is great i'm glad that there, there's a market out there for a dog that i can sell for pretty good money you know i'm not selling these dogs cheap uh and they take them they like them uh as long as they're enjoyable and pleasurable to the person that's turning them loose i consider that made it Mhm. Yeah. Do you think there's a difference in um how, how how do you set the bar on that, Josh? 1 out of 10. I set the bar on and those are actual numbers. 1 out of every 10 puppies that I raise from the get-go are consistent cast winners at a high level. That's my bar. Mhm. You know, uh, there's all kinds of little things, mouth, mannerisms, how they're, how they are in the kennel, uh, brains, all that stuff. But all that equates to just one thing. Are you a consistent cast winner or not? Well, did the other nine not make, I mean, when we, they that's all, what I'm saying when we're talking about make it. Yeah. No, the other nine, I'm going to try to figure this out on the top of my, off the top of my head, but you're looking at con Delta Blinken uh jagger biggie uh rhythm uh i don't know there's there's several others uh ferdinand my kid named that one uh all of those so he broke away from the music theme and went yeah, straight to don't, french don't kings ever, don't ever let your kid, french queens don't ever let your kid name a dog oh uh, you, all of yeah. the, all of those you could turn loose at night and tree raccoons with them uh, mm-hmm. the last one son uh, his name was Wayward Son. So anyway, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, Son was the last one I sold that I started. Uh, all of them, you could load them in the dog box, drive them down the road, pull them out of the dog box, cut them loose by themselves, and they would go tree a tree a raccoon. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've never had one in the last twelve or fourteen years that wouldn't tree a coon by itself. Candy was another example of that. And then she was a littermate brother to shock or littermate sister to shock. She would go tree coon. She never did suit me. Uh she wasn't quite good enough, but she would go tree coon. Mm-hmm. And I I can say the same thing. I've lived where I live now for the last twenty years and every pup that I've started here and raised here has made what I call a serviceable mm-hmm. coon dog. You know, it's something that you can take out and you can enjoy a night in the woods with. Um, are they going to be super stakes or world champion contenders? Probably, you know, most of them aren't. But, but um, the average person can take them and 
and not be embarrassed when they go hunting with their buddies. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's where the disconnect is, is, is what is making it and, you know, what's the definition of making it. And I don't know, man, I, I, I still think that, that, and I stated it on the, on the fake book that, you know, that 80% is because of the people, the people involved. When a, when a litter of pups leaves here, uh, used to, I have no control of what happens with those pups when they leave here. Uh, I don't know how, I, I don't know how they're going to be exposed. I don't know how, what their foundation is going to be. I don't know if they're going to run loose. I don't know if they're going to sit in a pen until they're nine months old. And then people haven't done anything with them. And at 12 months old, it's like, well, this thing isn't going to win the baby stick. So I'm selling it. And then it gets shuffled around. You know, I have no control. Now the last three litters I've raised, then I've been very particular and, tried to get them in hands of people that I trusted to not only do the best job with them, but also give me the, the, the most honest feedback of how, how they were going to perform. And, um, so I still say that, that 80% of it is because of the hands that they fall in. Not everybody, this is the truth. And I'm just going to say it. Not everybody has the aptitude to take puppies and train them. You know, some people are better off grabbing, uh, you know, going out and spending more money and buying a good starter dog or a finished dog and enjoying their hunting. That's what I always recommend to people. Is find I do too. Find something that's already treeing its own coon. And I know they're expensive, but especially right now with all the money that is out there in coon hounds, but you're still money ahead. Mm-hmm. You're giving 3500 to 5000 for a young dog that's, that's really consistent by itself. It costs more than thirty five hundred or five thousand to get that dog to that point, for the most part. Right. You know, I'm blessed in a, with a situation where, you know, it just takes a, a not as much effort for the just the locale that I live in. You know, I've got a good coon population. Uh, the dogs have good facilities as far as where they can run. Uh, I have a, a program that I try to follow with most of my dogs, which most of my dogs are bred the same way, so I don't get a lot of surprises. Uh, you know, I have a pretty good idea what that pup's going to be like. You don't, of course, you're never going to nail it every time, but I got a pretty good idea what that pup's going to be like before I ever get my hands on it. And, you know, especially when I just got done checking on Hazel again. She's due any day. You know, I know Hazel's kind of a kind of a different sort because that is a female that we bought, but most of the females that we breed even, we raised ourselves, and most of the males that we breed, we raised ourselves. And so you got a pretty good idea of what you're getting your hands on before you ever even start messing with it. One one of the things that I see that I don't understand, and I've had several people contact me, it's like, do you have a female pup available? Do you have a female? I only want a female. Mm-hmm. And I always respond with, why do you want a female? Well, I want to raise a litter of pups. And the, the message to start, how many litters have you raised? What's your mm-hmm. plans? You know, uh, do you have somebody that's going to help you select the sire? Am I going to be able to help you select the sire? Can I help you with this? And, uh, you know, it's, it's, um, I know you got to start somewhere, so I'm not trying to sound like an elitist cause I'm no breeder, you know, uh, at all, but I do study dogs 
I do try to find dogs out of, I would much rather have a, a good dog out of a solid litter than a superstar out of a dud litter. Yeah. And, um, I think a lot of times these, these females and males, both, you know, if, if, if you take, I don't care what it is. If you take a suit, you take that dog and you win the super stakes with it or the world hunt with it. At that point, it does not matter what any other pup in that litter has done. They could all have been duds in the best houndsman hands, and they were all in, you know, they were all calls. That world champion is going to get bred. Yeah. And so when I say it's people, you know, there it is again. We have, we have flocked to that world champion and bred these females to it when that male dog or that female dog that we're breeding to their individual talents have nothing to do with the reproductive ability. I think that the, uh, and you know just as well as I do that I can only speak for the Walker breed. I am an idiot when it comes to all the others. But as far as the Walker breed goes, uh, the, the pro classics have helped that a ton because a lot of these dogs aren't getting bred until they're late in their career. Because mm -hmm. it's... You, you know just as well as I do that sometimes breeding a male is going to change the way that he interacts in a cast. Uh, a lot of guys that are on a hot streak with a male, they're not going to stop in breeding. Uh, females are the same way. They don't want to take, you know, four months off to raise pups. Right. You know, they're going to they're gonna keep pushing that female. So a lot of these dogs are getting bred later in life, and we know exactly what they are. Mm -hmm. I mean, we know from the – it's not just a dog that got on one big run out at the world hunt. It's a dog that's that's won consistently for four, five, six, sometimes even seven years now. But how um, much how much do we pay attention to what their litter mates have done? Probably not enough, and probably not enough. And there are some examples of dogs that are are solid reproducers with not a great litter. But as a general rule, I look for the same thing you do. Uh, that's why we bred Shock to Hazel instead of Trader. Uh, mm -hmm. Thought a Trader semen crossed our mind with her too. But Shock's out of one of the greatest litters ever. You know, it's there were only six of them, and five of them made at least silver champion. Yeah. Uh, there's three platinum champions, one gold champion, and a silver champion. That's almost gold. Yeah. And so that's that's a pretty good litter of coon That's dogs. a pretty solid litter yes. of coon dogs. And, so I, and Shock hasn't been bred much for mm -hmm. what he is. And so that was why we made that decision. Uh, Khan was another reason that we, we bred to Khan uh, to dream because uh, Khan came out of a fantastic litter. Yeah. And so it's, that's something definitely to consider, and that's something I look at too. But you, there's a few dogs out there that maybe their litter mates didn't have the chances that they did or something like that. Again, they, there you go. Yeah. And so that's something you got to consider too. Some dogs don't get the chances that they should get. I know it. I know. You're exactly right. And, and we just, we just spoke about Mongo. Mm -hmm. you know, I can tell you that that litter, um, the first litter did not go. And that's kind of what got me kicked onto this path that I'm on now. Uh, if I raise a litter of contacting people and say, Hey, will you take a pup? I've got this litter. Will you take a pup? Um, I, I haven't, I don't think I've advertised any and I, like i said i'm not a big breeder but mm -hmm. i haven't advertised anything either i let some people know that i've got litter coming and um, they know somebody or whatever and they contact me and it's like hey and uh, man i i hate to be a sound like this like i'm but 
I feel like that's part of my my dog's legacy and my legacy riding on that pup and uh, my responsibility to to make sure that that pup has the absolute best chance they have so i'm not trying to be a snob about it it's just something that that i feel obligated to do to make sure that they get in the right hands yeah i know we've got three of these pups out of of hazel booked that we're giving away and we know where they're going and we know they're good pup now Mm -hmm. Uh, jeff jackson calls me and he wants a pup he's gonna get a pup and he's not gonna have to pay for it right you know there's people like this way the calls me right now he started a couple of stuff out of my stock uh, he calls me right now and says, hey, I want one of them shock hazel pups. He's getting one. Right. You know, I'm not going to charge him nothing. Uh, there rhythm, you go. Rhythm, for An instance. Advertisement. Yeah. Rhythm, for instance, <laughs> I, I raised her until she was three, three and a half months old. She went out to Wayland. He hunted her for a little bit. I got her bought back for a song and a dance and, and finished her out and sold her for pretty good money. Yeah. You know, and th- we, got a, we got the opportunity to buy those dogs back if we want them bad enough. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's so always. I, we always try to do our best to put them in good hands. Uh, we sell enough to go ahead and pay for super staking them, uh, raising them, shots, wormers, stuff like that. But we also kind of pick and choose who we're selling them to. And yeah. We, all, we also price them really high because we don't want somebody to just sit out there and waste them. And I think that makes a difference. That's that's a good point too. You you get sell these pups cheap, or you give them away to whoever will take them and uh there's no value in it for no. them you look at what we had to spend to get this litter of pups on the ground i mean we had to, jed had to take shock all i can't handle shock because me and him don't get along but jed had to take shock yeah. uh breeding jed had to buy his mother for a really good chunk of change uh raise that litter won sixty thousand dollars on shock and probably spent seventy thousand dollars doing it uh made the dog where he is he's still feeding him today and taking care of him today uh we had to get hazel purchased and of course shock we raised but hazel we purchased you know with there's a lot of money involved going into just making a single cross these aren't just a brood female uh picked up for 300 bucks and then bred to the hottest stud dog on the planet yeah you know we got a lot of money invested in this litter so we're not going to sell them cheap and i don't think you can because that's one of the reasons they get wasted Yep, I agree, man. But I, I think it goes back. I, I still say that, you know, when Wick wrote that. It was a different time. We were talking about 1985. We're, we're talking about, well, that have been 35 years mm-hmm. from, about 35 years from when, you know, the Coonhound registries really kicked off and, and we started keeping close pedigrees. And talk about 40 years, I yeah. guess, going back in the mid-1940s. But, uh Big, but even then, big game guys wouldn't wouldn't settle for eighty twenty. No, you know. You well, can't. and that's that's the thing, Josh. I mean, I, I look I look around the world. Bird dog guys don't sell for settle for eighty eighty percent call rate. Mm-hmm. Police dog guys don't. Uh, uh, cattle dog guys don't. So, what are what are we? Why are we just throwing our hands up and saying, well? You know, they 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 say that only twenty percent are going to make it, so you just got to get down the road. I I'm not buying it. Well, when you look at the, and I'll be I've trained, and I, don't get me wrong, there's there's levels to everything. I've not trained an elite retriever, but I've trained a good retriever. 
Uh, I've not trained an elite bird dog that could go out and be a national champion and shoot to retrieve. No. But I've trained a good bird dog. Uh, it's so much easier than a hound. It really is. It's and that's that's easier. one thing. And a lot of my breeders, like, you know, I, Sean Riddle is a friend of mine, or Bruce Murphy, or these guys that are training pointing dogs, or some of the, my retriever buddies and stuff, and they, they will tell you that same thing. They're, they're with their dog. They see their dog. Mm-hmm. They can react to what they're seeing instead of just hearing. It's a lot yep. easier to train one of those than it is a coon hound. You better believe it. And that's that's one point that I made in this post is what we're asking our dogs to do. I mean, it's more difficult than than police dog training. Yeah. You know, I, I'm with that dog when I'm training it. Yeah. It's the farthest it's away from me is a hundred yards. It's never yeah. out of my visual visual sight. Yeah. And um, what we're asking these dogs to do, so so to expect 80, 80% success rate might be a little bit high, but, uh, you know, 60 to 70% at this stage in the game after concentrated breeding efforts and, and stuff for almost, you know, 80 years now, just 80 years of, of record keeping, I don't think that's unreasonable. I don't either. And you also look at those other breeds, and they've been bred and and trained for a lot longer than, especially the tree and walker. Yeah. You know, they've been, how long have we had Labrador retrievers and Chesapeake Bay retrievers and English setters and English pointers and oh, yeah. Australian cattle dogs and border collies? That's right. Uh, those guys have had multiple generations more chance to, to either manipulate their dogs genetically or through training than we had. Well, you take you take the sidehounds that that Seth is hunting. Yeah, they've been. You know, we're that. talking about ten thousand years. Yeah, Jesus probably had those things. Yeah, you you're know? right. <laughs> it's not. It's not. It, we're we're behind the bar on that, and it's also a more difficult uh, thing to do for a dog to track something and tree something and do it the way we want it. Yep. And so no argument there. You're you're gonna have a low. You're always gonna have a lower success rate with a hound than you are a, a Labrador Retriever. I mean, that, that it's always going to be lower. I don't see any way around it just for the simple fact that, that we're asking them to do way more. Agreed. I, I agree. Well, I'm glad we got that hashed out. We're solving the world's problems just one Facebook post at a time, pal. We really are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it, does all, it does provide some interesting topics to discuss on a podcast. Yep. And... I, we go back to the brood female thing. There's no such thing. A brood female is just something that nobody hunted hard enough to figure out what she was. We'll have to tackle that on another podcast. Yeah, because that could be an hour, another hour. I'm anti. Yeah. I'm anti. You don't ever see any brood males. Uh, I could I could show you some. Uh, <laughs> Probably your plots. <laughs> <laughs> no plots don't live long enough that they can't there perform. you go yeah yeah what you got i got what you got from your side i got rules, rules. That's i what uh, we need we need more rules in our lives well i'm going to clarify a couple okay and this is only in the professional kennel club uh this is via mr shane Patton, and this is I, i'm the only reason i'm highlighting these is because i was right <laughs> <laughs> I've seen was this posts. Go ahead. More Facebook posts? It was a, it was actually a Facebook post. See? There's also, there you there's go. Also, there's also a post on the, uh, which I'm not as familiar with the UKC rules because I don't hunt it as much. But uh, 
the UKC rules have got to be pretty similar. And I know Cheyenne Cummings, who does hunt a lot of PKC, or in UKC, is a very good judge and a very good handler. Uh, he said in UKC, and this may be very well be the case, uh, the question was, a dog is struck in, uh, you walk away from it, uh, you get back to where you're supposed to hear it, you start the eight, and that handler is allowed to walk towards his dog for that eight minutes uh, using his Garmin. And I disagreed with that. I would not judge that if I was in a UKC cast that way because you're not allowed to use the Garmin to score a dog. And mm-hmm. in my opinion, uh, walking towards that dog via the Garmin is technically you're in the act of scoring that dog. Yes. And so that's how I interpreted it, and that's mostly coming from the PKC side. And I had some questions with that in the cast earlier too, and I've seen that question come up on Facebook. So I called Shane, and uh, I said, hey, uh, we walk away from a dog trailing. We go score a tree. Uh, you're not allowed to start that six until you walk back to the last place you heard that dog. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody knows that. So I walk back to the last place I heard that dog, and I start the six, and it is that handler's six but we can only walk towards the last place we heard that dog. Mm-hmm. If that dog is two miles behind us now, I'm not letting you use your Garmin to walk towards him. Uh, we're not allowed to use the Garmin for anything as far as scoring goes in PKC. And yep. you are in the act of scoring that dog. And so I clarified that with Shane. He said, I have been judging that correctly as far as he knows. And that is the way I will continue to judge it. And so if any of you guys that are coming up with these pro classics that I'm getting ready to judge, or if you draw me out at the world hunt, uh, you're not using your Garmin to walk towards that dog. We're only going to walk <laughs> towards the last place we heard it. And that's how I'm going to continue to score it. Let me, let me, I'm going to share a story about that. Okay. Oh, <laughs> uh, we had gone to Donnie and I were, we were pushing big country and, uh, we had gone up to ashland for the spring yeah spring uh classic or whatever it was that mm-hmm. they had up there <clears throat> and uh we're sitting around the motel room and i said man there's an rqe over at peru indiana it'll only take us you know a couple hours a few hours to get there let's just let's just load up and go over there and get this dog qualified we got over there drew out and uh, went to the woods and Country's behind me working. There was a little female in the cast that was out in front of us that had been struck. We went and scored a tree from uh, on country, walked back out into the field, and the guy had lost track of his dog and uh, started the eight. And so he started walking towards his dog using his garment. Mm-hmm. I said, we don't, we're not walking that way so you can get within hearing. You know, we're back at the place that you heard him the last time the eight started. And the, it was, the the answer was, well, it's my eight. I can do whatever I want. Yep. And I said, uh, no, you can't. We're back to the place where, so anyway, it went to a cast vote. Everybody voted that they could go, that he could go that way. We ended up walking all the way across this field out of hearing of country behind us and walked in on top of this dog. Don, to this day, Donnie still talks about me getting out handled by a bunch of seventeen-year-old kids. Seventeen-year-old <laughs> kids are tough, bud. Let me tell you, they they know their stuff. Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, it was that's just a classic example directly related to yeah. what you were talking about. Now, according to a lot of people that I respect and like in UKC, you can use that Garmin to walk towards your dog, but I don't yes. interpret that way. And I'm not. Gonna, I couldn't inter. I couldn't convince them that way that no. night. That's for sure. No, but I, as far as I'm concerned, you can't use that Garmin to do anything in a cast other than see where your dog is at. Yeah. And the judge has. You can show me your Garmin all you want. I can't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. And so if and it is the handler six or the handler's eight, they are allowed to walk, but they're only allowed to walk towards the last place we heard that dog. That's how I always judge it. What about um, what about the part of the rules that say splitting the difference? Uh, you always um, have to split difference. You know, mm-hmm. I and that that's a very common occurrence in PKC when the dogs are split up. Uh, it's something that I always try to maintain throughout the cast. You know, if you got one here that's two hundred yards in front of you trailing, and one that's a mile behind you trailing, you're going to walk towards that one until you're dang near out of hearing of the other. You know, yeah. you want you want to try to make sure and, and stay within hearing distance of all the dogs. Uh, but you know, it's just something as a judge, you really got to be mindful of. Yeah. A judging is tough. I mean, if you're, it's, I think it's, if you're, if you're, if you're, if you've got any integrity in you at all, if you're a hunting judge, it's really tough. Yeah. A non-hunting judge is extremely tough. Non-hunting judge is much easier. I I agree. Than a a hunting judge. And. I, I beg when I'm at an open event or I'm in an early round of a major event to don't don't let me judge. Now, there are times where I've let somebody else judge and ask not to, and I'm thinking, man, I wish I would have judged this cast. Right. We, wouldn't, we wouldn't be in this fiasco. Uh, but most of the time I try not to hunt if I'm a hunting judge because especially in a pro classic or something like that, you know, Finley's paying the entry, and I'm at a disadvantage if I'm judging. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you get sucked in under right. trees looking for coons, yes. and if it was and my, your dog, if it, if it was my money, it wouldn't bother me as much. But when I'm when I'm hunting on someone else's, I'm trying to really make sure they get the value out of that entry fee. And That's they're not exactly get, right. They're not getting as much value if I'm having the judge. I drew vapor one year at the PKC World. Uh, Tony Smith, that dog, that dog's tough. I mean, yeah. there's there's no drawn, doubt about it. I, all the, the events we were at together, and I never did draw vapor. He's nice. He's yeah. real nice. I had some friends that drew him and stuff, but I never got to draw him. Yep. And uh, getting sucked in under trees, and the cast isn't yeah. obligated to get, you know, the cast members aren't as obligated to get in as close as you are. And Well, just in PKC where you can go get your dog by yeah. yourself and, and handle it, you know, especially when it's hot or something like that. And you're a lot of times you're not able to do that as a judge. And so, you know, you're leaving your dog treed there untethered, and anything could happen. Yep. You know, don't get me wrong. We hunt dogs that'll stay treed all night for hours upon hours. You have to to compete at that level. But when they get treed and their fives up, I want to be right there. Yeah. Because anything could happen. A coon could jump. You know, something wild. Dog can get too hot and the two catch it. You never know. Right. Yeah. It seems like every time I I would go to a major event, then and there were hunting judges, then I was put down as the judge. Yeah. So. Oh yeah, Jerry. Jerry was terrible about, it. and then he'd pronounce my name wrong. <laughs> Do what? He'd pronounce my name wrong, and then make me judge. Hey, Josh <laughs> Michaelis, come get your card. I finally told him at the Labor Day Classic one year. I said, Jerry, if you don't learn my name, I ain't freaking judging for you ever again. 
<laughs> oh, Jerry, man, he is a good egg, though. Yeah, I, gotta I always tell got you. along pretty good with Jerry. Yeah, yeah, yep. What other rule you got? You said rules. Oh yeah, I got the the two minute rule on the trees too. That was something that needs clarified, and I'll, I might have to ask Jerry about this because I seen somewhere where he said that a handler can walk there too. You know, say you're walking to a tree, dog shuts up, uh, you put the two on. Uh-huh. Uh, you want to stop and listen and make sure it doesn't break. And I've seen somewhere before, and Jerry may correct me if I'm wrong, but that that is the handler's two as well. And I've never judged it that way either, because if you can tree that dog, and me I take neither, your, and I take your call, then, and I'm not. There now there have been times where I've had people stop me at the bottom of a hill when I tree deep and and tell me to put the two on which that's a question and you put that up to a cast vote anyway or a wind storm picks up or the rainstorm comes or something here but i would never do that to a handler as a hunting judge or a non-hunting judge uh if a dog is tree deep and i'm on top of a hill and i hear it clearly and i take the call i'm not going to walk down to the bottom of it where you can't hear that dog and then put the two on them exactly and most yeah, ha- most judges i've only ran into that circumstance maybe once or twice in my entire career I've ran into it both ways. I've ran into it where uh, I've felt like that the guides or or judges were trying to walk me the long way to mm-hmm. my dog out of hearing um, and then have them try to put the two on me. Yeah. Um, and, and then a, I've also... There's a handler tip with that too. If you think that's happening, you stop immediately and say, look, we'll walk around if it's easier or if we want to walk to a road and walk down the dog or something, but you're not putting the two on me. If we walk one step away from my dog Mm -hmm. and I've always been as a handler, I've always done that as a judge. I've always said, look, the guide says we can get to this dog faster, walking out away from it a little bit and then walking back down a road or back a path or something like that. I'm not going to put the two on you for four or five minutes of walking. Right. And you know, so I make sure and clarify that before we ever take off. Yeah, you you run into that deal where it's like, you know, somebody's like lagging behind and they're they're yelling out to the judge, hey, you need to put the two on that dog. You need to put the two on that dog. We can't hear him. You know, and and at that point, a good judge is just going to turn around and say, hey, I'm the judge. I figure out when we need to put the two on him. Appreciate your input, but we're at a disadvantage to hear that dog. We put ourselves there. The dog didn't put us there. We put ourselves there. Mm-hmm. So so we're going to get to the best advantage point and, and make a call then. Yeah. No. Because so many it, times I've if walked. If I take a tree call, I can hear that dog. Yep. You know. Well, you're so, supposed to. Exactly. You know, I'm not. And there has been a couple times where a handler got me. And now I'm not. You know, that happens too. A good handler is going to sneak one in on you every now and then. And I'm not mad about it or nothing. That's my mistake for taking that call. You know, I don't put that on the handler for taking a chance and trying to do what's best for his dog as much as I put that on the judge for doing it. I've mm-hmm. seen a lot of judges get talked into hearing a dog that they don't hear. Yeah. And good, good handlers can do that. Well, a good handler also, when you're talking about walking your two, you know, they know that when their dog starts getting a little bit hot, they're going to start chewing. Yeah. Or they know when a dog, I'll tell you where it really happened was, was with the squirrel dog competitions, mm-hmm. you know, you, you start, 
you start walking into this dog and the dog shuts up and you know what he's doing he's off the tree milling around yeah. and smelling logs and and everything else but as soon as they hear you come a man they're back on there and they're yeah. just ah, bah, 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 bah. and uh so they want to get there and i want to yeah. i want people to get there too i want yeah. i want to get to my dog so there's i'm no, not i'm not trying to minus somebody on a tree right. super hard with the two catch them especially when it's hot yep when it's yep. super hot i'll even tell the handlers i said look i'm gonna be lax on starting the two you know the dog's gonna have to be pretty quiet for quite a while before i'm gonna start and put the two on it it's 90 degrees out here i get it yep and it's not good for that dog to stop every 50 yards put the two on it and take 20 minutes to get to that tree no and so i'm i'm slow on the two when it's hot uh i'll minus a dog quick when it's moving but you know it's it's something where as a judge you have to understand the circumstances in the situation Mm-hmm. yep for sure i think that's all i got you got anything else pal nope i've got anything man we sold a lot of issues today we really did and i think people can are we going to give marriage advice next truth or what uh, we're gonna do? i'm the wrong guy to ask for that <laughs> i promise you that <laughs> do you know anybody that maybe could not any coon hunters no <laughs> a matter of fact i was talking to uh hoop franklin the other day and i said there's two types of coon hunters in this world those that are divorced and those that are getting ready to be <laughs> i said hard hunters i said hard hunters yeah that's right yeah that's right oh man all right i'm good all right i'm good too chris thanks for sitting down with me and uh thanks for everybody listening this is the truth on the houseman xp podcast network <laughs>